Hi, everyone, and welcome to the State of State Schools podcast. I'm your host, John Stamper, Christian author, former homeschooler, and former public school teacher. Once a week, I'll give a quick recap of the most important headlines in education and pull back the curtain on what's really happening in our kids' schools. If you're a teacher, parent, or homeschool family, this podcast is for you. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 17. We have just four stories to get to, all coming from the week of April 10th. So let's get started. Uh, Before we get into the stories, I just want to remind everybody what this podcast is all about, right? I'm a former public and private school teacher, former homeschooler, just wrote a, a new book called Conflicted, Pulling Back the Curtain on Public Education. All I'm trying to do with my book and this podcast is provide information to teachers and parents, kind of sound an alarm as to what's going on in public schools nowadays, uh, and just provide information to help teachers make career choices and help uh, parents and families make you know education choices, all right? And I try to keep each podcast between 15 and 20 minutes so you don't have to spend a lot of time uh, listening. You can kind of just uh, do it as you go about your day. All right, story number one, parents. Does your kid's school have a parental secrecy policy? What is a parental secrecy policy, you might ask? Well, I've talked about them in previous episodes, but basically a parental secrecy policy uh, is a policy that schools can adopt that says they do not have to notify parents, involve parents, or even get parental consent to help a child become transgender, to change a child's name at school, or to let that child share a bathroom or locker room with the opposite sex. This is something that exists all over the country and it's becoming more mainstream. The Chico Unified School Board in California voted three to two in favor of giving schools the ability to keep secrets from parents. The school board's vote was actually to keep their existing policy, which says that school staff does not have to share a child's gender identity with the parents and that the child gets to decide when the parents are involved or if the parents are involved. So the school is involved in the whole process, guiding the child through their gender transition, pushing them into it really, while the parents are left clueless. Public employees getting paid with tax dollars are more involved in the child's life than the parents, at least in California. What's more shocking is that the school voted to keep their secrecy policy even after being sued by a mother who claims school counselors helped her daughter transition genders without her knowledge or consent. So the school is doubling down on their secrecy policy, pulling no punches and straight up telling the parents that we are taking control of your children and we do not care what you have to say about it. Nancy Pelosi spoke on the issue earlier this week at a human rights campaign event in LA. Pelosi supports secrecy policies and claims that getting rid of them would be a threat to trans kids because it would force schools to quote unquote, out the kids to their parents. So these are statements that we should not take lightly. We should not just brush past them. The former speaker of the house here believes that schools have the right and the moral obligation to secretly brainwash, 
and even groom children into transgenderism, all while totally disregarding the parents. You know, they always use the fear tactic. Oh, the child is in danger at home. The parents will cause them harm by not affirming them. You know, propaganda always appeals to your emotions. It forces you to uh, think and make emotional decisions, to think emotionally. The bottom line is parents have rights and they have every right to know everything that their child is involved in. When I taught for Chicago Public Schools, we were taught not to tell the parents if a student was transgender or gay at school. And we were told to affirm that child's trans identity or homosexuality, whether the parents knew about it or not. Parents, they weren't even important. The Defense of Freedom Institute recently released a new study that found at least 3 million students in America attend schools that have a similar secrecy policy, meaning at least 3 million students, at least, have the ability to change their gender, change their name at school without ever telling their parents. So parents, I would urge you, if you have kids in schools, public or private, get in front of your school board and ask what their policy is regarding the issue of notifying parents on this transgender issue. And if your school does have a secrecy policy and they refuse to remove it, I think those adults in charge should resign immediately. Story number two comes from the Christian Post. So when it comes to these secrecy policies, you might be thinking, well, schools are just trying to keep the kids safe. That's why there are secrecy policies. Well, schools do have protocol to follow if there's evidence that a child is being physically abused at home. But these secrecy policies are trying to say that it's also child abuse for parents to not affirm their trans child. That's why schools feel morally superior enough to assume the role of the child's parent. You see, according to public schools, the ones that use these secrecy policies, they feel they are more important than parents, that they know better than parents, and that they have every right to undermine and lie to parents. So this next story is just one example of how schools are lying to parents about their child's gender. A mother in Maine was cleaning her 13-year-old daughter's room when she found a chest binder. In case you don't know, a chest binder is typically worn by women to flatten their chests to make them look more like men. Side effects of wearing a chest binder include breathing difficulty, damaged breast tissue, and cracked ribs. So the mother asked her daughter where she got the chest binder, and the daughter said she got it from a male social worker at school. The daughter also stated that the social worker said he was not going to tell her parents about it and that she didn't need to tell her parents either. It turns out that the school had also changed the girl's name and was referring to the girl with male pronouns. Of course, all without parental knowledge or consent. When the mother met with uh, the school superintendent about all these issues, the superintendent claimed that none of these issues violated school policy. 
In response, the mother filed a lawsuit against the school, removed her daughter from school, and began homeschooling. Well, guess what happened next? Just days after meeting with school officials, the mother was visited at home by the main office of Child and Family Services, who had been given an anonymous tip that the mother was emotionally abusing her daughter. So Child Services showed up to her doorstep. After a month-long investigation, the claim was dropped due to lack of evidence. The superintendent's response to this whole situation was that the school board, quote, their first priority is always to provide a safe, welcoming, and inclusive educational environment for all students and staff, end quote. All the right buzzwords. So parents, when your school says, quote unquote, safe environment, that means they don't plan on telling you anything because parents are perceived as dangerous. Literally, my training at Chicago Public Schools said that adults, they use, they abuse, blame, minimize, threaten, and intimidate children. This is according to my training. And this is what a lot of schools think of parents. So when school policy says that, quote, welcoming, diversity, equity, inclusion, what they're really saying is it means that they're definitely teaching gender theory and or critical race theory. Oh, yeah, they're inclusive, all right, except when it comes to parental rights, Christianity or American patriotism. Story number three comes from Fox News. This story is about two teachers in Missouri who filed a lawsuit against their school district over mandatory diversity training. This lawsuit was filed in August of 2021 and was the first of its kind. This also happens to be the exact same time period when I experienced my teacher training in Chicago public schools, which was also racist, discriminatory, and prejudiced. So these two teachers were required to complete, quote-unquote, anti-racism training during the 2020-21 school year. That's right in the peak of COVID. The teachers claimed that the training was discriminatory and compelled them to speak a certain way based on the school district's viewpoints, basically forcing their speech. In the lawsuit, the teachers claimed that the anti-racism training was discriminatory, and that America should be colorblind and not place skin color at the center of education. That's what these teachers believed. Well, on March 31st, just a few weeks ago, a federal judge ruled against the teachers and instead awarded the school district over $300,000 in legal fees. The judge stated that there were quote unquote political undertones to the teachers' allegations and that the teachers showed no harm, in fact, whatsoever. He continued that the teachers, quote, attempted to drag defendants into a political dispute rather than seek remedy for a genuine harm. Plaintiffs did not allege, and no evidence suggested, that defendants enacted any policy or guideline that required plaintiffs to adhere to certain viewpoints or to articulate a particular message, end quote. Basically, the judge is saying it's the teachers who are making this a political issue and, quote, unquote, dragging the school district into a lawsuit. Besides, there was no real harm done to the teachers, right? 
Nobody's forcing any speech. It's just words. So this judge sounds like an activist judge to me. A spokesperson for the school district stated that the teacher's claims were frivolous and that the tax dollars could have been better spent on students. Oh, better spent on students. You mean like teaching them that all the white kids are racists and that they need to give up their quote unquote privilege in the name of equity? Is that how the school could have better spent the tax dollars? Because based on my experience and the current trends around the country when it comes to these anti-racism trainings, it seems likely. The two teachers have appealed the decision to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit. So I can't speak to this specific anti-racism training that these teachers went through, but I can speak based on my own experience to the intersectionality training that I experienced, which clearly stated that white people, particularly straight Christian men who are white, they're abusive, threatening, blaming, intimidating, and they use children. All as tactics of abuse. Those are not my words. Those claims are taken directly from the training materials I had to complete. So they may use the words anti-racism, but when they say that only one race can be racist, sorry to tell you folks, but that's racist. So if this trend continues and, you know, the courts continue to throw out lawsuits against these woke teacher trainings, then there's nothing the teachers can do about it except either comply or leave. Now, I want to encourage you all to listen to episode 16 of my podcast called Dangerous Parallels or read chapter eight of my book and pay attention to how teacher trainings were used to implement political ideologies during the rise of communism in the 20th century. What happened to the teachers who did not comply with politicizing their classrooms? How did it all turn out for those education systems and those countries? Know your history, people. Story number four comes from the post-millennial. This story is about LGBTQ activists, teachers included, that are committed to celebrating their sexuality alongside four-year-old pre-K students. Hayer Elementary School in Waukesha, Wisconsin, teaches children from pre-K to fifth grade. So four-year-olds to 11-year-olds. Every year, the school holds a spring concert where the students learn some new songs and sing them at the concert event. Well, this year, there was talk that students would be singing a new song by Dolly Parton and Miley Cyrus called Rainbow Land. One first grade teacher at the school had been playing the song during the school day, encouraging children to learn the words and sing along. However, the school board made the decision not to use the song for the spring event, stating that it could be perceived as controversial. At the Waukesha School District board meeting this week, LGBTQ activists gathered outside the building and sang the Rainbow Land song anyway. The first grade teacher I mentioned was placed on leave after she publicly criticized the school board's decision not to use the song. One parent stated in support of the song, quote, I think for some reason the district sees rainbows as a political symbol, end quote. Well, yeah. When LGBTQ activists show up in outrage, I'd say 
the rainbow that's in focus here isn't the one from the Bible where God promises never to flood the earth again. It's the political, sexual rainbow that's in question here. Good for Waukesha School Board. I have family in that area and I'm glad to see them draw a line and to stand up for what really is the most basic concept. Don't sexualize little kids. It's pretty simple. So I'll just leave you all with one final thought and then one verse from the Bible. The definition of perversion is, quote, to change something from its original course, meaning, or state, to a distortion or corruption of what it was first intended, end quote. And the Bible says in Luke 17 and 2, quote, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones, end quote. All right, everybody, that's all I have for this week. Take care.